Uh, and I was just hooked on it right then. I knew I had to get on that stage. And that was my sole goal in life is to become a stand-up comedian. And that's why I made some sacrifices. I went to Los Angeles. You've definitely been on you know, national television, national stages. You've um, gone through an evolution. It's enough time talking about things. Let's start doing things that you really wanted to do. That's the way I work the deal. That's the way I... That's the way I get these people and get the best deal. How do you think I ended up on your podcast? <laughs> Welcome to the Big Leap Podcast. I'm so excited for this session because it uh, involves a person that I've really loved his comedy for many years, but have recently discovered his art and Mike too. And so we're going to do a session with uh, Kevin Nealon today. And we talked about a broad range of subjects. But one thing I really want you to... Uh, uh, pay attention to is how he made his big leap comedy wise and also his big leap art wise. I think you can learn a lot from that. Yeah. And one of the things that I really enjoyed here is uh, you really get to learn a lot about the evolution of an artist and how he's constantly reinventing himself. And also something really impressive about Kevin is he is a hands-on do-it-himself kind of guy. You're going to hear exactly what and why that is. And you also Hear a funny joke that he tells as well as about how he met his wife. So, Kevin. <laughs> yes, you will hear that joke. Uh, you're right about evolution. I uh, Evolving. I think everybody's always evolving and hopefully it's in the in the area of what they love. And I think that's probably true because that's the area you want to evolve the most in. And, and for me, as far as my comedy and my drawing, I'm constantly evolving. And I'm enjoying that. I'm always looking for something new to just push it along and, and 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 i think that's hopefully what everybody does to get the most out of what they love so join us on this episode of the podcast for a great interview with kevin nealon hello and welcome everybody i'm gay Hendricks and we are thrilled today to have somebody that we've known and admired from a distance for a very long time, the uh, great comedian and now artist, Kevin Nealon. Kevin, welcome. Thanks, Gary. I'm very excited to meet you and to be on your podcast Well, here. thank you very much. Well, Mike and I are huge comedy fans, and he and I can... Uh, just to let you know, I do my own version of the subliminal man sometimes. <laughs> it's usually under the influence of cannabis, so I'm not going to try okay. it here yeah. uh, in my straight podcast uh, persona. But uh, uh, anyway, we're massive comedy fans, and uh, sure. we talk about big leaps here. When you look back through your whole career, what was your first big leap as a comedian? My first big leap was leaving my hometown and driving to California to become a stand-up comedian. That was a, a huge leap for me uh -huh. because, you know, I come from a, a very loving family and, and to walk away from that was very difficult. And an area of the country that you called home. Uh, I forgot, you're from Boston? I'm from or? the East Coast, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Connecticut. Okay. Bridgeport. Yeah. Um, well, just to get it really or were you driving as you made your big leap? That's a good question. I was driving my grandfather's old uh, Pontiac Grand Burrow, I think it was called. It was a sedan. It had about a, 
100,000 miles on it, which was a lot back then. And it broke down in um, somewhere in um, Oregon. And we, you know, we we're almost here. We brought it to, I came out with a friend of mine uh, from college and we brought it to a gas station, a body shop, and they fixed it. And we cruised into Los Angeles about a day or two later. <laughs> my breakaway from the East Coast was in my tiny Volkswagen Bug, 1970, uh -huh. packed with my entire earthly belongings pretty much in the back seat. Yeah. And I motored my way across country on Marlboro's and donut shops. That was uh, pretty much my diet at the time. I've cleaned <laughs> things up since then. But um, And where was your first gig where you actually got up on the West Coast and uh, addressed an audience? Well, this is in 19, around 1978. This is back in the 1900s, Gay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I went directly to the improvisation oh. in Hollywood on Melrose Avenue because I had known about that place. And I was very excited to go there and, and meet the owner. And he just happened to be there that afternoon. And he invited me in. And no one else was there, of course. So he gave me a tour. And I could tell he was very proud of this club. And then he brought me into the back room. And I remember seeing that room and the stage. And I was just in awe because this is where all the comics that I you know, envied and, and they were my role models performed. And, uh, and I was just hooked on it right then. I knew I had to get on that stage. And that was really the, the first place I ever performed on an open mic night. But I remember when he left, he walked me to the door and he said, uh, come back and see us again. And I did for... 30 years. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, bless him. Yeah. Um, Mike, I know you had a bunch of questions and I want to get to a, a, a long review of Kevin's new book here in a moment, but uh, okay. take it away, Mike. I know you had some well, stuff you wanted to talk to Kevin about. I do because um, so what I'm really interested in is the transition. So, I mean, you've had a really fascinating career. You've definitely been on, you know, national television, national stages. You've um, gone through an evolution. But what I'm really curious about right now is your evolution where you're doing art, the art behind you, for example. And I know Gay's going to talk about that. You've got a show on YouTube. You clearly um, spent a lot of time in the business. Um, let's say this has nothing to do with money. Um, but what really lights you up right now where is your brain in terms of what motivates you gets you excited gets you to jump out of bed every day and want to create and what do you most love to create just talk a little bit about the evolution from the grind to what i believe and i'm projecting on you right now but it's your freedom that you have and what you've earned right <clears throat> Well, first of all, you're right. It has nothing to do with money because my wife comes from old crypto. So uh, we're pretty <laughs> well set. Mine <laughs> too. No. <laughs> so I enjoy so many things. So when I'm laying in bed, and like this morning, I got up at 3.15 because I just couldn't stop thinking about this um, thing I was editing on my computer. I do this hiking show, like you said, on YouTube. It's called Hiking with Kevin, and I hike with a different celebrity every every week, and I post it just every other week. And uh, and I'm right now I'm working on one, and I'm just laying in bed thinking about cuts and edits, and I just couldn't sleep, so I had to get up. And, of course, I'll be taking a nap later. <laughs> and then I'll wake up from that nap thinking, okay, what am I going to do with that uh, the end of that tape? So for me, it's a lot of different things, Mike. I, I enjoy art. 
I enjoy music. I play a five-string banjo and a guitar, and I'm learning how to play the piano, and I'm learning Spanish. I take that twice twice a week. I think when I hit my 60s, my 60th birthday, I thought, now it's it's enough time talking about things. Let's start doing things that you really wanted to do. Wow. Um, so that's um, that's what I'm doing now. And I'm excited about all that. And also time is, is precious for me with my family. I like, um, you know, that's the thing I want to do most is spend time with my family. So, um, you know, when my wife is busy doing something or my son's at school, I delve into all this stuff that I like. You know, speaking of family, that's one thing I really, yeah, that's one thing I wanted to really uh, salute you for, Kevin, because I've known a lot of people in your specific line of work and musicians and actors and that kind of thing. And one thing that you've done, which I really admire, is you've created a really wonderful family. Uh, I uh, have the pleasure of of uh, meeting your wife a while back. And I don't know, if, do you remember the old Danny DeVito movie where he says you can tell everything about a man from his house, his car, his wife, and his shoes? <laughs> I, I don't know anything about your house or your car or your shoes, but man, did you hit the jackpot with that amazing wife of yours, Susan. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love her so much. She's the best. I got so lucky with her. Um, had you seen, uh, did she, uh, by the way, if you if you haven't seen uh, Susan in a while, uh, audience, uh, you probably may remember her best from Parks and Recreation, where she played this wonderful character called Jessica Wicks. And yeah. uh, she's played lots of other things and lots oh, of yeah. other shows, but uh, a lot of people remember her from uh, of, uh, Parks and Recs. You knew her before that, right? You knew her back in early, early 2000s, right? That's right. That's right. Um I met her back then, and, and um, she just started doing Parks and Rec in the early days of our dating, and um, and she's been really busy since then. You know, she's she has a podcast out now called um, um, uh, Financial Firecrackers. That's right, Financial Firecrackers. Um, <laughs> You'll pay for this later, son. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Nice, nice job, nice job. Well, like I said, I got a lot of things in my mind going on. So, so um, I, you know, there's only so much room in my mind um, for things that other people are doing. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. But, you know, you're right. You can tell a lot by some of the shoes they're wearing. I remember I worked in a, um, a sporting goods store. It was one of my first jobs I had. And there was a one um, guy there who had, like, the most polished shoes every day. And mm. I'm going to find out he had been in prison for a while. And that's what prisoners did. They shine shoes for, for uh you know, they, the wardens or the guards would leave them outside their um, their uh, jail and they would, um, you know, polish their shoes, have them in the morning. So that's how I know now. If somebody has shiny shoes, they were probably in prison. <laughs> As Gay looks down at his shoes. I'm looking down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to get to this big leap here. Um, and that is uh, the book called I Exaggerate, My Brushes with Fame. Mm-hmm. And it's dozens and dozens of amazing caricature paintings um like the one uh, well i've always loved harry dean stanton i don't know if you guys can see this on youtube oh, yeah. or not. uh but, uh i mean that's a, that's pretty much exactly that's not even really a caricature <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately no that's exact exact portrait and i i want you to go down to your nearest bookstore this is not one you want to you want to order it maybe on amazon but go down and check it out in person because it's this big book of and it's not, not just the pictures too 
it's stories about each of these people, some of whom, like Dana Carvey, obviously, you know, really, really well. And um, but uh, I really want you to go get a copy of this because uh, it'll give you a real insight into Kevin's personality also, because his personality is woven through all this. So now that I've uh, blurbed your book for you, so uh, tell me about the big leap that got you into even doing something like this. Like I back when you were doing Hans and Franz, were you doing art too? I've always been doing art, but not to this degree. I've, I've always loved to doodle and I never really committed to it. You know, Gay, I would just start drawing somebody, a little sketch of somebody, and I would never kind of finish it. It would be a quick pen and ink thing or even pen and, and uh, a napkin or a pen and anything, you know, sometimes pencil, sometimes crayon. But, um, but I've been doing it all my life. And 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 um, different forms of it. But when I was on SNL, but I remember growing up, there was two character paintings, one of my mother, one of my father, hanging over the, the dresser in my bedroom. And every night when I lay down, I just had to see it and I would look at it. And for years, I would just be studying how that artist exaggerated my parents. And mm. I don't think my parents liked those too much, those characters, <laughs> especially my mother. But that was my real big lesson right there. And then as I got older, and actually when I was on Saturday Night Live, if I wasn't in a sketch during the table read, I would be sketching the person across from me, whether it was Chris Farley or Dana Carvey or the host that week in the margins of, uh, in fact, one of them is in the book um, that I did of, um, um, I forget, <clears throat> Jeff Daniels it was. And so, and then after that, I just started drawing more and more. If I was in the comedy clubs, I'd be drawing the person who was on stage in the corner on a napkin. And they'd always want that. They'd want to keep it. And I don't know why, because it wasn't that good. <laughs> and then before the pandemic, about a year or so before the pandemic, I started getting more serious about it. Because I knew the pandemic was coming, gay. Eh? <laughs> All I did was sketch bats back then. It was just bad for some reason. <laughs> Funny about that, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of psychic. And then um, then I um, started following different artists on Instagram. And these people were really, really good. And I've become friends with some of them since. And they've become mentors to me. I actually um, found one that I really liked that lived in England. He was offering a course, like a 10-week course. Uh, so I would uh, Skype with him uh, an hour a week for 10 weeks. And he taught me, he taught me a lot about digital drawing, and caricatures mm. yeah and then like i said i became friends with these other illustrators and artists around the country now they've been so helpful to me like I'll, I'll text you know i'll email them to say or text them and say is this nose big enough does this look right the eyes are they too uh -huh. close together yeah. well that's good i never knew there was until i started reading this book that there was this whole culture or subculture of caricature or artists around yeah. the world and so you're, you're picking up on a grand tradition yeah. there. Um, oh. So you had a bunch of people you admired, and then one guy was particularly in uh, mentoring you. And uh, could you describe the process of doing one of these uh, from the get-go? Right. Well, what I do is, first I find a picture that I like, a reference picture. I'll go to maybe Getty Images or go online, and, and I could, it could be somebody that I admire or somebody that was in the news recently, or somebody who there's just a really good picture of, high def, that I could work with. So I find that, 
And then I'll do a rough sketch of them on paper and maybe make it a little bit better. And then I'll transfer it onto my Wacom, it's called. It's a digital tablet. And I will start doing that there, going over the, the sketch I did and use color. And then when I'm finished with that, I'll paint over it. I'll put like different textures of paints over it. And that's basically what I do. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's the process. And from sketch to finished product, about how long would one of these take? <laughs> oh, it takes a long time. <laughs> It takes a long time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm serious. If I was paid minimum <laughs> wage <laughs> for the amount of time I worked on these, they would probably be $20,000 each. <laughs> so it's, it can be a couple of weeks, couple you know, like weeks. Five, five hours a day, six hours a day. But I'm getting quicker at it now. The more I do it, the, the quicker I am. That's so amazing. Like That's fifteen thousand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, may you be well paid for these someday, paid commensurate with the hours you That's put in. True. That is fortunately, true. yeah, you get better pay for your uh, stand-up hour. I'm That's for sure. sure, and I enjoy doing that too. People ask me if yeah. I still enjoy doing stand-up, and I really do. It was really first and foremost anything I ever wanted to do. That was my soul goal in life is to become a stand-up comedian. And that's why I made some sacrifices. I went to Los Angeles, California, and I just started hitting every open mic. I've been working on my act and watching other comics. And I remember there was a point, I mean, you talk about leaps. I remember that I was maybe out here for three or four months doing open mic nights and I was running out of money. I think I only brought $1,000, maybe that's all I had. And I lived in San Diego for about a month. I did that. And then I, I uh, drove up to San Diego and I started hitting the open mics, went back to the improv, which terrified me. I would, I, I would take a, a, a step every day. It's actually in my book. I would, first, I'd drive there. I'd be too afraid to go in. I'd sit in the car across the street, just watch people going in. The next Sunday, I would go there and maybe I'd go hang out in the bar area in the front until it took me my, a month and a half to work my way into the club into the showroom where Bud Freeman, the owner, had showed me when I first moved out there to get on stage at like 1.30 in the morning when hardly anybody was there. And that was perfect for me. But getting back to what I was saying is I got to Los Angeles and I was sleeping on couches. I was staying with friends and I had about enough money to get back home, to drive back home. And or I had enough money to make a um, to be renting an apartment that was one hundred and thirty five dollars a month. And, uh, and so I didn't know what to do. So I called home and I told um, my mother and father, I said, I'm homesick. I don't know what to do. And my father yeah, said something that really moved me. And, and I, this is why he's such a great dad. He said, I said, dad, I don't know what to do. I have enough money to, you know, drive back with um, the money I have or enough money to pay for the rent. And he said, Kev, you're a big boy now. You stay out there and give it a good shot. And I know how hard that was for him to say, because I know he wanted me home, but yeah. he knew how much I wanted to do this. And I just needed a little a kick. And that's what he did. I'm so grateful that he did that as much as it probably hurt him. Wow. Oh, that's great. Well, blessings to your dad. That's fantastic. How wonderful to get a great piece of advice like that at a key time like that. 
Yeah. yeah. And I remember when I hung up, I just cried. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I didn't hit pay dirt when I got here in my Volkswagen either. And in fact, I ended up doing a couple of those jobs that you sometimes wonder who does jobs like that? Like I was a telemarketer for blind and handicapped products for about a month. And uh, so um, I was the guy that called you at dinner time and said, Hi, this is Mr. Hendricks from blind and handicapped products. Could I interest you in one of our blind made brooms or ironing board covers? And uh, then uh, I'd have to deal with it was good training for a psychologist, though, because what I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we take these jobs, if we're really passionate about the career we want. I worked for Manpower, which is a part time job agency, and they would send you on the worst jobs ever for minimum wage, but you could pick the days you want to work. And it was perfect for a stand up because I could work maybe three days a week. And my my rent was only $135 a month, and I was splitting it with another comic. So it was $67.50, I think, each. But yeah, they were horrible jobs. They were jobs like cleaning battery acid off of these battery terminals in a big building. It was, you know, shoveling dog crap out of a muffler place in the basement where they had a guard dog, you know. And but you know, we do that because we have we have a vision and we have a goal that we want to get to. Yeah, and Great. anybody that manages to live by their wits, as you've done, or I've done, or Mike's done, uh, I want to salute us all, because it's one of the great pleasures in the world to know that you've been able to live by your wits for 40 years or 50 years or yeah. whatever it is. And to be doing the thing that you're passionate about. I know so many people, most people aren't doing what they're passionate about. They're working a nine to five job, which some of them is, they're fine with that. And they get their vacations and, you know, maybe they like what they're doing, but I sure can't think of anything that I would rather be doing than what I'm doing now. Well, that's what I did when I was in my 30s. I invented a job I would never want to retire from. So that's here right. I am 50 years later, and uh, you're yeah. the same thing. You know, you're all my friends be... are retiring now. They're, they're all retiring. I said, why are you retiring? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, go ahead. I've, got, I've got another one if I can, and ideally two. So one is think about your evolution an interest in comedy. So I'm curious what you think is funny now. Um, and that's both the end game, meaning the punchline, as well as the structure, the framing compared to as a younger comic. So I, I'm curious about your composition of comedy and what you look for, what you think about and what you're performing now. Well, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, Mike. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I first of all, I think the funniest people are children because it's real what they're doing and it's innocent and it makes me laugh so hard. But that is something you can't really recreate as an adult. <laughs> I I loved a lot of comics growing up that I would I would read the the back section of the parade magazine. It was my favorite jokes and then whatever the comic was at the time, the popular comics. So I would memorize those and go to parties. And, and they were basically structured jokes with a setup and a punchline. And so that's kind of how I learned how to create my craft is to follow that, that pattern. Yeah. Seventies and eighties. Um, yeah. Even into the nineties for sure. I get it. Yeah. And even still to this day, I mean, there's a lot of, of people comics out there that are solid 
joke writers and, and you know, they're, they're great at doing stand-up. So I watch a lot of people and I learn from a lot of people. And back then, when I first came out here, I was influenced by Andy Kaufman a lot because he was so unique uh, and original. Yeah. Same with um, Albert Brooks and Steve Martin. They all, to me, they all presented something that was very unique to me. Yeah. And as time went on, I kind of kept that in mind because all of a sudden there's a zillion comics out there and a lot of them are doing the same thing. So I'm thinking, what do I need to do to stand out amongst those comedians? And I think you have to come to the terms with the fact that you can't try to change who you are to become something to other people. Mm-hmm. You have to stick to the stand-up that you do, that what you think is funny and how you're that's what you do the best. So that's what I've done. I stayed with mine, which is kind of a, a cross between what a lot of people are doing now, which is a little more alternative comic comedy, which is more venting and more attitude instead of crafting a joke. And, yeah. and you know, like, you know, a joke that works for me really well. And I'm kind of embarrassed because it's such an old kind of a setup and punchline. I talk to the people in the front row and I ask them where they met and they tell me either online or at a bar. And then I said, yeah, I met my wife at a costume party one Halloween. She came as a slinky. That was her costume. And I think she made it herself. She was very creative. And I thought she's really interesting. But I remember the first time I saw her, she was coming down the stairs. <laughs> she was sticking to the time. You know? And uh, had she not gotten stuck on the bottom step, I never would have talked to her. <laughs> so the audience loves that. But for me, yeah. it's it's sort of like it's not like a, a routine like a Dave Chappelle would do, who I'm not, and I don't try to emulate him. But it's it's my style. It's it's what I uh, what I've learned, and that's what I've kind of become good at. Jonathan Winters was my comedy god when I was growing up. Uh, He He was was great too. He was the yeah. off-the-wall one for my time. I had the pleasure of meeting him later on in his life. It was a great oh. thrill for me. Um, I, I know we're kind of getting a little tight for time here, but I want to also get back to the subject of the book again. Okay. And um, Oh, actually, I did. I forgot one question I want to ask you uh, before we kind of finish with the book. Was there a moment where you realized, I can do this thing, I'm going to make it, I'm going to succeed here or you know like uh getting on saturday night live or what was that moment for you oddly enough okay it was the first time i got up at the improv that, oh yeah that hooked me and i thought i can do this i want to do this and that was the beginning of a domino effect snowball effect where one thing led to the next and, and i was i was determined to become a successful stand-up and I knew I could do it, but I did give myself two months. And if I didn't see any kind of forward movement in it, I probably would have gone back. But I knew I could do it. And it just, every time I got on stage, I loved it. And it made me come back. It's like every time you have a good hole in golf, you want to come back again. You want to keep doing it. But I think the biggest thing that changed me was doing the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson for the first time. It was, and I talk about that in my book, and there's a, a painting I did of him too, because he was such a, such a monumental part of my career and getting skyrocketed from that after doing that show. And I remember never floating in air so much after that 
I mean, the natural high that I had, I haven't been able to reproduce that yet, except when my uh, son was born. And of course, I met my wife. (laughs) (laughs) So that was that was a really major thing for me. And to this day, I still think about it and remember as scared as I was standing behind that curtain about to come out. I knew I had to do it. I couldn't not do it, even if I bombed or I forgot my act, which I did on the way out to my spot where I'm supposed to stand. I totally went blank. I couldn't remember my act. And that's after three or four days of going it over it ad nauseum in my head. I could be talking to you now and I could be going like this, but really I'm going over my act in my head. <laughs> but luckily it came back to me after the last clap. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um and also, just one other quick sure. question. Uh, Lauren Michaels is one of the more intimidating people I've ever run across. Uh, what was it like to, how did you audition for him? Or what did you do some kind of uh, particular act to get that job? <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't even remember what I did for him. I know there's some people that have their auditions on tape, and I don't know if mine's on tape, but Dana Carvey was a friend of mine. He is a friend of mine. And he got selected to be on that show because he's a He's a good character actor and does impressions and accents and those sorts of things. So he went off to New York that summer for that coming uh, fall season. And I was so excited for him. I was so proud of him. And and two weeks after uh, he's gone, he calls me because, Kev, I'm, I'm out at Warren Michael's house. I'm in the back bedroom. This is in the kitchen. Uh, Bill Murray. I'm like, no way. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Lauren is looking for one more cast member. And I told him about you. And I think he's going to want to see your audition tape. I'm like, Bill Murray's in the kitchen? You know what I mean? I wasn't even accepting that other information because I knew I wouldn't get there because I knew I didn't do characters. I'd just be rejected. So I was more excited about Bill Murray. And so I sent my audition tape in anyway. You know, what's it going to hurt? Two weeks later, you know, the call from Dana. Kev, I'm back at Laura Michael's house. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. I'm like, no. He goes, yeah. Good news, Lauren, like your tape. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I'm like, Steve Martin. <laughs> anyway, I fly into New York. I go to 30 Rock. I walk into Studio 8H where they tape that. And I immediately got really tired because I used to fall asleep watching that show. <laughs> so it was an association thing, right? I do my little audition. I think I did something I did from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, just some stand-up. And then... Dana and I used to, we shared a house together for a while in the Hollywood Hills and we would stand in the driveway and just kind of, you know, jam on different ideas and characters and things. And then that kind of started getting me thinking about characters. So I do my audition. And then two weeks later, I find myself sitting in a high rise in Beverly Hills across from Laura Michaels and he's offering me a job on SNL. And I said, well, thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. Let me think about it over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I work the deal. That's the way I... That's the way I get these people and get the best deal. How do you think I ended up on your podcast? <laughs> yeah, I worked it. Baby. I worked it. It's all about the money, baby. It's all about the money. <laughs> uh, okay, if I can, do we have time for one more quick oh, question? Yeah. I have until uh, two o'clock. Okay, okay, great. Okay, great. Great. So here's um that's East Coast. I'm curious. Uh, all right, nice, <laughs> nice. So we're um and and you kind of did a setup here, and you you mentioned a few of the things when you talk about your art. But I'm really curious about your collaborative mind. Um, when and where do you collaborate? Like when you're doing comedy right now and you're preparing your act, like how long does it take for you to have an act that you can take on the road? Um, and I know that varies depending on 
you know, every comedian's a little bit different, but I'm curious about like, where do you choose to collaborate? And are some, are there some collaborative projects you're working on? Because if you're doing your YouTube show, for example, it's more of a walking interview, um, your art, you said you've got some people, you ask questions as you're, you've been evolving right. and you're taking lessons right now, but I'm just curious about what's your process, what's your experience and what's been your big leap in terms of your creative evolution, your collaborative evolution. The act I'm working on right now comes from over 40 years of working on it because it's not just the material, it's the, it's the presence on stage, it's the confidence and it's the delivery and all that stuff. As far as collaborating with people, I love to go to the comedy clubs in town because there's so many creative people, funny people there that, I mean, that's how Larry David and Seinfeld hooked up to do his show. They knew each other from the club and they just started throwing some ideas around. So I like doing that. I like when Gary Shandling uh, was a very good friend of mine. If I was on the road doing a corporate gig, say, I would call him and I say, Gary, I'm doing this gig for... IBM, and I need some jokes about printers or copiers or the head of the company, wherever it was at the time. And so we would we would spitball on the uh, on the phone for hours and just kind of jam that way. And if I'm writing a book, I'll be working with an editor. So we collaborate a little bit then. Like he might say, I think you need more of this here and more of that there. I say, okay. And I've written screenplays before with people. I wrote uh, the Hans and Franz movie, you know, way back when with uh, Conan O'Brien and Dana Carvey and this guy, Robert Smigel. And that oh, yeah, was, uh, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. And yeah. did a sitcom recently. I wrote with uh, this uh, guy, Danny Zucker, who used to wrote, write for Modern Family. So it's all about really finding the people you connect with and you have that synergy with. I love right, it. I well, love it. Back so to the subject of art again. Thing. Go ahead, Gay. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Well, I want to call everybody's attention to the book again. It's I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame, full of amazing caricature paintings and a lot of interesting commentary and stories from uh, Kevin. So, uh, Kevin, congratulations on living by your wits for a whole bunch of Thank years you. and also entertaining the world in a lot of different ways and giving us something really interesting to uh, look at here. And uh, do you plan to do more of these, by the way? I do, actually. I do. And I know this is the first pass at it, and my art is still evolving, too. So I know all of this will probably, I'll look back at one day and go, oh, I was so green at the time. So I look forward to my artwork changing and developing into something else, too. Good. Mike? I love it. Well, um, I've, I think uh, ultimately the big question then is where should people go to get more other than we'll put in the show notes, your website, your YouTube channel. Um, is there any big ask that you have for our audience? Because you never know who's listening or watching that you need support, help, or um, of any sort. What would that be? My biggest ask for someone that would help me Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm so uh, I'm so used to not asking for help that that is uh, um, crypto, more crypto. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I get more crypto? <laughs> How can I touch it? How can I put it in my hand? 
I think I think just what makes you laugh. Mm. I, I I could ask everybody that, and hopefully it's the same thing that makes me mm-hmm. laugh. Well, so far you're doing a great job of it, and you can uh, find a lot more information about Kevin on the web and uh, uh, look for. Uh, Look up his website, kevinneeland.com, and um, or is it just Kevin Neeland? Yeah, I can't it's remember. Kevin Neeland. Oh, Kevin no, it's not. my website is kevinneeland.com. Kevin Neeland. Okay. Yeah, and my Instagram is at Kevin Neeland, and it's um, for my artwork, it's at Kevin Neeland Artwork, and for my photography, it's um, Susan's Photo Sessions. Uh-huh. Oh, by That's the way, I forgot even to mention that uh, if you're on Instagram, folks, check out Susan Yegley's because she yeah. has the most amazing photographs. And I didn't even know you were the one until recently that you were the one that takes those photographs. And so um, and by I, the way, that's a collaboration too. That's a big collaboration for us is, you know, because she, she's so good at styling and finding the right areas to shoot in. And I just come along and push the, and make sure the light is right. Yeah. So, yeah. So she actually, those pictures, uh, her website is Susan, Susan, Atsuki Yegley, S-U-K-I Yegley. Yes. Fantastic. We'll we'll put them all in the show notes. So everyone will have hot links and then we're going to promote to our lists as well. So my goal is to uh, help you fill up all your events, your comedy events that are going on. Uh, As of right now, we're recording Kevin's on the road uh, performing. So make sure you see him. I'm going to see which cities. I, I actually missed you in San Diego. We were talking about that before we got started. Um, oh, my God, and, it was so um, funny. I wish you were there. It was so funny. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? So anyway, this has been an absolute pleasure, Kevin, and a total. Uh, I love your evolution. Congratulations on just being able to pursue your passion. Thank you. And uh, yeah, just the the your curiosity, uh, how you're taking on so many new skills and talents as well. It's fantastic with multiple mediums. Very, very impressed and happy for you. Thank you. The clock is ticking. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much thank you thanks Jay. it was great meeting you guys all right everyone thanks for listening make sure you like you comment you follow kevin again um everything you need to know is in the show notes so we'll see you in another episode of the big leap soon bye-bye